often think that psychological safety has become a bit of a myth. It's a buzzword, most definitely. There's lots of information available around psychological safety, and there's been a lot of research and evidence to support this notion of psychological safety. But I think there's also a bit of a myth around it. People think they know what it is, but not quite sure, perhaps. And because of the term, the term itself might not be very helpful because when we think about psychological, we think about the mental state of being. We might reflect that actually what it's about is mental health, it's about well-being, but actually it's not. Those things are linked, but that's fundamentally not what it's about. So in this episode, we actually talk and explore this idea of psychological safety and what it means, and we demystify it with Ian Webster. And we're really pleased that Ian was able to join us for this conversation. Ian is a change consultant with 20 years of experience working across broadcast, media, learning and professional service organizations. And he has a long-standing passion for exploring how the human dimensions of business can drive performance, particularly within teams and projects. So our conversations and ideas are quite aligned, really. And one of Ian's key strengths is, is in leading and facilitating dispersed teams with diverse skills and backgrounds, and his blend of finance process, people skills, help him support clients by marrying that data-led tool approach with deep listening and empathetic facilitation. Ian actually leads Humotion to inspire teams and their leaders to do their best work, releasing untapped potential and activating humanity in business. Really hope you enjoy this episode where we demystify what psychological safety is. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast with me, Ishreen Bradley, Chief Inspiration Officer at Belonging Pioneers. And me, Kami Nuttall, founder of Culture Lab Consultancy. Privilege is a conundrum that dilutes the culture of fairness at work. And as a leader, you recognize that your organization has more to do. You want to create success through connection and belonging, and you're unsure about how to make it happen. Now, the Privilege Eruption podcast is where you have the opportunity to evolve breakthrough thinking about the impact of power, privilege and purpose and how that shows up at work. And in these podcasts, you will gain the courage and confidence to realize a culture of inclusion for all. The model you were talking about earlier, 95% system, 5% yeah. people. That, I, like, I can see that working if you're making widgets in a factory, perhaps. Mm. But in today's kind of organization, I don't get that. That's, that would relate to a lot of service-based businesses where, and, and, and so a lot of Seven's work's been in places like kind of call centers um, and, and being in, in business, in being in businesses uh, or, or public sector, being in businesses where essentially the the output is largely determined by it, it could be the, the the combination of the technology and the processes, and and what's usually lacking in that situation is clarity of purpose. Mm. Because, because you're treating see the thing with call centers, and this is my personal whatever you call it, right? Like, oh my God, you're trying to make human beings be like a conveyor belt. And human beings are not a conveyor belt. Yeah. 
Well, but my point is that you're you are there and you've got scripts in front of you and uh, the, the the overall um if we measure the overall efficiency of the of the total machine so that's all the all the it infrastructure all the processes plus the people all put together and in terms of how efficient is that for the for the end customer in terms of how well served are they been the vast majority of what's going on is all about the design of the system and yet what often happens in businesses is they'll micromanage the hell out of the poor person that's that's not yeah. following the script quite right. Yeah, they got it the wrong way round. Um, if if the system was was better designed in the first instance, yeah, then um, it would potentially flow a lot better. We can get we can talk then about things like failure demand and um, yeah, the, the idea that you can keep building more and more and more of these call centers. But if you've got lots of calls coming in, it probably tells you there's something wrong with the design of it in the first place. Yeah. Uh, what you're doing essentially is dealing with more and more complaints. Yeah. So that's taken us off down a little bit of a, a rabbit hole in terms of the original question. But I do think that if we look at performance, um, and what I was just talking about earlier with that retail example there, yeah. what we can do there is highlight to people, highlight to businesses, Okay, if you invest in improving psychological safety in these bottom quartile stores here, and that usually comes back to what I was saying earlier about the influence, particularly of the store manager and the key mm. people that are influencing and shaping yeah. the culture in there, then that will give you a, a corresponding uplift over here. And suddenly we've made the link. We're, we're yeah. essentially a business case in a box then. Yeah. Because if we give you this degree of sales uplift, then you know y- your investment in your people will be um yeah. will be rewarded in such a way and that's what yeah. excites me about that and what no, happens like of it. course when you do that is that the culture culture it starts to change the culture is emergent because yeah. by by going in and, and working with that uh, from mm. a performance point of view then things things start to happen sure no i love it i mean our approach is also to link to um key performance indicators and work back from that to the car. Well, we don't work back. We kind of work both in parallel, don't we, Cami, when we do our mm, work? Mm. Um, I think that's really important to um, to make sure you don't lose sight of what the FD's got his eye on or her eye on as well. And, and to be clear for anyone that's curious about this, I, I am working here, the, the, the tool we use, Conductor, is working with correlations um, but we have a matrix of five KPIs and 25 questions. So we have 125 combinations there. Yeah. And when you start to see patterns emerging, and if anyone that's statistically minded starts seeing correlations of greater than 0.4.5, there's a jolly good chance that if you influence the thing on the left-hand side exactly. there, like safety, the other yeah. thing over here, particularly if you're seeing yeah. that pattern emerge yeah. consistently. Yeah. So no, it's not causation, it. but it's no. actually highlighting where it's extremely likely. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Our track record suggests that that, in fact, is the case. I mean, no, absolutely. The corresponding uplift, yeah. No, absolutely. I think we take a um, – well, Kami, you talk about how we go about this because we do the same thing, but we come at it from a slightly different direction. I, I was absolutely going to say that um, you've talked – you touched on the impact of leadership behaviours and absolutely, you know, within, within teams, they're very much going to be locally led, locally influenced, locally impacted by – that leadership behavior that exists and affect that change, then you affect, you know, a, a good amount of team cohesion and and the ability to to create an environment where um, teams are actually 
able to to sort of share their ideas in a safe way and and be heard, be listened, be recognised, be valued, all of those things. I, I, I was actually thinking was, is there, you know, I mean, in, in terms of our work, we very much want to understand how how psychological safety is being experienced within the organisation. So do people feel safe they can speak up about equality matters or diversity or inclusion or belonging, you know, in 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 their workplace? And and if they don't, then why not? What are the what are the potential experiences and stories and perceptions that we're that we're holding on to or you know we're living on a day-to-day basis that stop us from being able to call things out? Um it, you know, that's one aspect of psych safety, I think, uh, but important for our work. I think the biggest blocker in terms of this for many people is that silence has become a, a really, really effective strategy for mm. people navigating their way through major organizations. Um, you, there, there are many, the problem with psych safety is it's invisible. So when it's low, um, it's it, it's kind of like it probably just seems like business as usual to a to a, mm-hmm. any kind of culture, particularly one that's slightly toxic. And so, if the norm is for the boss to sort of like bully their way through the t- team meeting, uh, not listen particularly well to people, um, and, and not create that environment and that space for people to speak up, then. It just it, you are to to, to to the point that was made earlier. You are like fish in water. It's just that the water that you're swimming in is slightly muddy and murky. Uh, it's not very effective, but you won't even notice it. You don't know. And so the the number one thing to do, however you do it initially, mm-hmm. is to measure psych safety and at least get a grip and a metric of what's going uh, on. Absolutely. Yeah. Unless unless you do that, you're it, it, it's a it's a hypothetical conversation to learn. Beyond that point, once you've got once you've got a measure, um, you can then start. I think to to to, to sort of like and like I say, when we when we measure it, break it down into different areas, and you can see which elements are potentially missing. But um, everything starts with with an awareness of, of of the level of psych safety, and those managers, the, the, the people that are leading those teams really have two I, I, I look at this in, in, with almost like two sides to their behavior really one is what they're role modeling and so a lot of this is around you know just how they are showing up showing some degree of, 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 of times of vulnerability that ability to ask questions that ability to kind of like be curious about people and generally and just role model what you mm-hmm. want others to do and then another really important subset of skills, and this is all eminently teachable, is really around what I would call broadly facilitation skills. So when we're in meetings, it's around encouraging conversational turn taking. It's 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 listening actively. It's directing attention for people uh, in terms of um, what the questions that you ask. And sometimes it's 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 the art of what I call speaking to the moment, which is. When something's going on and you realize there's something going on and there's an elephant in the room, so to speak, it's being able to speak it out and talk it out in such a way that it, when it's been highlighted like that, everyone almost like lets a, a, an audible gulp of breath out and then we can get on and we can speak to it. So those are the sort of skills 
But yeah. when we talk about if we go into a, a retail store and we highlight uh, we've got some, somebody scoring lowly, those are the types of skills that we're looking to encourage from people because they're the tangible things that make the difference, what we role model and what we facilitate with our people. And that's really interesting for me as well because, um, uh, I, Shreen, you may have a different slightly take on it, but certainly in in the culture readiness reviews that you know i've been involved in role model is role modeling is something that always comes up you know our our senior leaders aren't living the values they're not actually effective role models in our organization and then conversely actually the things you're talking about facilitation skills Ian, we talk about it from a leadership inclusive inclusive leadership perspective you know how how because everyone when we think about leaders we tend to think about somebody with power authority position actually everyone has the opportunity to be a leader in that moment and and in that moment it is about being inclusive in your behaviors which is according to listening being attentive recognizing acknowledging making sure people are being heard and i can see you both nodding as i say this because i know you that those are the things that you're probably also um in agreement with or, or perhaps even add more to um I yeah and, uh, well i think the biggest challenge here is Role modeling it, Cami, as you said, from the most senior person down, right? Yes, because yeah. um, very often the challenge is the most senior people think they already know all this. Mm. And they probably do already know all this, but they're not performing this. And that's where a lot of our work comes in, right? Is in enabling everybody in the organization from the most senior level to the most junior level to understand the importance of actually performing it as in role modeling it. Right? Well, one thing I'm thinking we haven't talked about is conflict mm. and how we deal with conflict when we have psych safety. The one other thing that is that culture of silence you refer to, Ian, it's endemic within our organizations. Absolutely. And that's what Ishreen and I are finding that, you know, we, it is that silence we need to overcome. Yeah. In the organization. Mm. And there's a cost to it. Yeah. Yes. Um, a couple of ways we could take that. Um, first of all, I, I think one of the areas that, that, that is often a real great leverage point and, and, and something which can really start to turn the, the cultural ship around, as it were, in the right direction is what happens when we make mistakes. It's mm. not quite the same as conflict. Um, but it's 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 kind of to a certain extent closely related to or downstream of that, and how we relate to how we respond to mistakes is, I think, something that can can really start to change the tone. If people approach move from a blame uh, mindset to a curiosity mindset, and a manager can do that, and possibly at the same time display some vulnerability, um, if, mm. if they have some role or some 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 some, some involvement with this. Um, I, I think you can get the, probably the fastest traction that we see often is where people change that. Being able to go back and run ret regular retrospectives, looking at, at what's happened and being able to have, have people speak up honestly about what they saw, what went right, what went wrong. These these things can can actually gain momentum relatively quickly once people see that it's safe to put ideas forward and, and mm. the manager has, has, has role modelled and, and led that. Mm. So. I think that's one element of this. The other element uh, that's interest for me about conflict is what do we do when there's tension in the room? And this comes a little bit back to what I was saying earlier about speaking to a moment. Um, 
most organizations' response to tension and to situations where there is um, a, a sort of nervous potential degree of conflict at stake is to bury it and dig a big hole in the ground and bury it as quickly as possible. Now, you will sometimes see people respond. That's, the, that's a human response, Ian. It, it, that's it is. A, just a basic human response. I think it happens in families. It happens it between, does. yeah. It, it, it yeah. happens everywhere. Now, the problem with it in organizations is over time, it builds up what I would call almost like an organizational debt, really. Yeah. Because if you don't respond to it, you are you're essentially, that's how you get a degree of a toxic culture because you're codifying and allowing that to happen. Um, and you're also missing out on a wonderful opportunity because that all that tension is, is energy when we boil it down. And if you release it and people see those sort of moments as learning moments, and this does take skill facilitation. I'm not suggesting this is something we can just suddenly kind of release and, and have people do. But I think working with tension and allowing people to kind of like find ways. And a lot of what sex safety is about is allowing people to find ways to express tension, create the language, create the environment, and also create the language to be able to actually talk about yeah, these things. Yeah. Yeah. And then those elephants are in the room and we nice. can do something about them rather nice. than continually burying them and putting them into a hole. Yeah. Um, and that has a transform that can have a transformative effect oh yeah yeah absolutely everything else absolutely but, but it does small steps first i mean uh, yeah. I, I, if you go at that in an unskilled way you can very quickly lose a room um, absolutely so, yeah. so, so absolutely mindful how we do it but for me um they're the two they're two elements of conflict which i think are really interesting um in terms nice. of um, attention i think particularly is a is a great thing to yeah. play that's good. I think we're we're coming up to um, the hour now, so I think this has been an incredibly rich conversation, and I just want to summarize for our listeners what I hear is the key takeaways. So I think there are three key takeaways that we've all shared from. The first is to get the correlation or the link between performance and psychological safety. The, and culture. The second is to then work on what that correlation throws up as um, where culture is impacting performance. And the third is, um, you know, development of leaders and juniors, well, or everybody as a leader from the most senior level to the most junior level on how to role model, how to um, facilitate and lead essentially conversations in order to create a safe environment. Um, Ian, did I summarize that reasonably well, Cami? Yeah, it's fine. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bunch of things we could, we could talk about. I, I would just add um, to what you said, Ishram. I, I think there's an interesting relationship here that we mentioned earlier between psych safety which is very closely related to inclusion um and then the importance of having inclusion to support diversity um, when we're doing kind of edi work and that's why yeah. I, I love the conversation here because i think psych safety can can add so much to that because yeah. inclusion is often the harder of the edi elements to put yeah, together absolutely. 
Um, and, uh, and as a bonus from that as well, what you also get, as I've said at the outset, is this sense of belonging and, and addressing yeah. that uh, yeah. need of being part of the gang, part of the team. I, I, I'm going to, I know we're nearly ending, but I'm going to, I suppose, end not necessarily with a summary, which is, Shreen, I think you and Ian have both done um, and made that link with the with Edith really, really well, Ian. So thank you for that, because, you know, um, we're very interested in in how psych safety shows up as a as an enabler for EDID goals and objectives, right? So I think this is a question that we take away, and you know, re, you know, our listeners, if you know, if if you've got any sort of thoughts around this, please do send them in to us. You know, we'd love to hear more about what you've learned from from this conversation. But there is a question that's popping up in my head. And that's around our privilege um, measures, Ishreen. So yeah. we're we're seeing emerging privilege measures, and they are around sort of you know um, being valued, being empowered, being accepted, psychological safety, inclusion, and and I wonder whether there is actually a question about how we look go about correlating that specifically with psych safety as well so psych safety is in there but i'm really interested in, in thinking about how we correlate sort of psych safety with the feeling of being valued as an output empowered as an output accepted as an output inclusion as an output so i'm just going to leave that question out there to float thank you to our listeners as well for sticking with us mm -hmm. and exploring this conversation Ian, before we let you go. Um, we have just for fun some quick fire questions we'd like to that we ask all our guests, um, and really just to sort of end our time together in a positive way. Uh, it's been you know really good conversation. So so this just takes us a little bit down the fun route in my opinion. So I'm going to start us off, Ishreen. Or do you want to go with your? No, I was no, going to let go. you have your favourite questions. So you go for it. Ian, the first two questions. First question is, what privilege story has impacted you the most? I would say, um, because I'm a massive cricket fan, and it's the only sport I was ever any good at, um, I was watching at the time when it was on Sky, the interviews with Michael Holden and Ebony Rainford-Brent and everything they explained through their journey, through um, – coming out of their childhoods that were both quite happy in Jamaica and in South London and then encountering what they found when they got into, when Michael Holding came to play in England and uh, Ebony started playing cricket, um, how they initially responded to it, which was very adaptive. Michael Holding ignored it. Ebony came up with all sorts of very elaborate ways just to be able to cope to the end of their journey when they eventually came out and spoke so eloquently about it. Um, a couple of years ago, um, and and the and the sub subsequent movement and subsequent uh, change that they've been able to precipitate in the sport. So for me, because nice. I grew up in all of that in a, a very multicultural environment in Yorkshire, where cricket is played in that way, um, it's yeah. For me, that was a, a story that's very close to my heart. Wow, yeah. and and it's only got. Um more and more amplified with all that's happened recently right yorkshire mm. and cricket yes it, it's <laughs> it's a, 
it's probably not something we should jump into now. It's, it's <laughs> no. conversation, subject. conversation uh, for another time, huh? <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, but um, yeah, so that for me is probably the most impactful um, story. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. What's the latest book you were reading that has inspired you? Uh, Oliver Berkman's book, um, 40,000 Weeks, which is all about um, how to kind of, um, it turns a lot, I guess, of the conventional wisdom about becoming more productive and more efficient uh, on its head and asks you lots of questions about how you're really using your time and what's important to you. It's brilliant, mm. brilliant book. Oliver Berkman, for those of you who don't know, was the a guy who wrote the self-help column in The Guardian for about 15, 20 years. Um, he's a wise character and a, a very good author in that space. So, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed that. I've consumed that very quickly. Oh, that nice. sounds like a must read. Okay, my favorite question. What's your favorite indulgence, Ian? Um, craft beer. Uh, this is the golden age of drinking beer. Um, I think back to when I was a student, some of the rubbish that we used to drink back then. Uh, oh, now, yes. anything you want, basically, from uh, your palate, your taste, um, different to type, size, strengths, all the rest of it. So, yeah, uh, craft beer. <laughs> there's also there's also non-alcohol uh, craft beer as well. Indeed. Good range. Yeah. Fascinating. And craft gins and craft this and craft that uh, are all available, yes. Amazing. <laughs> Who's inspired you most to do what you do? I would say um, the uh, Seth Godin uh, would be my answer to that question. The marketing and uh, motivational speaker. Um, he's a brilliant, brilliant conceptual thinker. He can he can get across really important ideas just very, very on point and very sharply. His educational arm, Akimbo, that he set up, have run some, he's miles ahead of his time, run some brilliant, brilliant courses where I learned a lot about um, things like the marketing seminar and his old MBA. They were ahead of his time because he was doing online learning um, with people well before the pandemic. And he had cohorts that just catch fire where you just end up working and getting to know people really, really well. And it's all about how to create the right lo lo cultural learning nice. environment. And it's not easy. Really, is not an easy no. thing to do, but, it, but he does it brilliantly there. Um, so, yeah, I've learned so much from him and from the people that he, he works with him. So it would be Seth Cody. And if you had unlimited resources to put together the ultimate resource for ensuring an equitable organization, what would that be? I'd set something up on the lines of uh, another book I'll recommend, a guy called Aaron Dignan. Um, uh, his book's called Brave New Work, but he talks about uh, uh, founding organizations on two key principles being people positive and complexity conscious. Now, people nice. positive is kind of, I think, fairly self-evident in terms of um, how we work. And a lot of it, addresses, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Complexity conscious is really, really important thing to me. If only if, if I could teach business leaders one thing, it would be this, which is we work in complex organizations. We do not work in complicated organizations. Now, what I mean by that is a car and a car engine is complicated. It works in a predictable way. You go in, you an engine, engine a mechanic can go in and fix it. 
and you know there is a, a, a there, there is a sort of cause effect thing going yeah. on with the car when we get in that car and we drive across town that's complex because you know what's going to happen out there and there's so many other moving parts around us and it's naive to expect us to be, just be able to set a plan up and go and drive straight across town in the way that we can envisage from the start and organizations are like that, that. We, we have lived forever in this it has it has its roots back in taylorism and back in this idea that everything can be planned out and the, the organization is a machine and it's back to what we say earlier about people being cogs in that it really it's really really unhelpful and, and that metaphor runs like a stick of rock through mm. stubbornly through some organizations still if only we realized it was complex when things are complex we probe sense respond we're far more flexible we're far more experimental and that's closer to the actual reality of how things work so if i could do one thing it would be teach people that and set organizations up that are founded on those principles wow mm. i feel the passion in that one yeah yeah almost as passionate as we the craft we'll, we'll, so, we'll, anyway <laughs> we'll 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 be watching this space ian to see what emerges <laughs> <laughs> always a good thing to do Thanks for listening to this episode of the Privilege Eruption podcast. Really hope you enjoyed it. And when you've finished listening to the conversation that we had, send us your thoughts, send us your reflections, tell us what you're thinking about psychological safety in relation to your wider organization culture. And, you know, do you have a question about psychological safety and, and how it manifests within your culture at work? Look forward to hearing from you. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for joining us. Our intention is to bring you new insights about the impact of power, privilege and purpose at work for you and for your organization. You can check out our episode description for social media accounts and don't forget to send in your questions and you can send those to our email equitychampions at belongingpioneers.com. We look forward to sharing more about power, privilege and purpose at work with you on this podcast. Now, if you got value, please remember to share it with your networks. Please leave us a review. And as Cami said, please do remember to send us any questions that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye.